Hello, friends. Welcome to the Mavs Moneyball Podcast. You're joined by Kirk Henderson and Josh Bowen. Tonight, we have a special guest. We don't really do guests in season because it's very hard to organize, but tonight we're joined by Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban, which is a sentence I don't think I ever thought I would say. How are you, Mark? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Um, just to, to set the, uh, set the, the tone, I called him Mr. Cuban in an email, which was a mistake. And now my entire Mavs Moneyball Slack has been making fun of me for a week. Um, <laughs> well, so let's, uh, let's just get right to it. So I woke up to an email about 10 days ago that said, uh, you know, from you, uh, Mark, you, you said, why don't uh, I come on your shows? And of course, we're happy to have you. But I, I, I will start by kind of kicking the floor to you. Is is there anything you'd like to talk about with us before we pepper you no, with questions? Just whatever you guys, I mean, you guys are opinionated. So I thought there'd be a lot of things we could talk about, you know, and, and so I'm happy to address any of the issues you have and, and any of the questions you have. And that's why I'm here. Josh, you want me to go first? You. I, I feel like the honor has to go to you, Kirk. Oh, this, okay. is, this is such a big moment. <laughs> okay, Never so thought I'd here's... see you two on the same screen in my life. <laughs> this is a question that I've wanted to know since maybe 2011. Uh, uh-huh. What is, is sort of the value to you in media appearances like this one? Ma- mainly smaller ones. The bigger ones I can kind of get. But, you know, we're just a podcast. I have fun. I, I, this is a job that I like. I love the Mavericks, right? So it's fun and... People who care about the Mavericks, I, you know, I like to connect with, and I love to talk Mavs, and I like to talk basketball. Okay, that, that well, that that is something that we do uh, way too frequently on this show. Um, so, I, I think my 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 first question, and this has sort of been on my mind since uh, all the changes last summer. How has the organization changed since the front office moves uh, last summer? I mean, it's changed 180 degrees. You know, we went from old school to new school to, you know, Nico and Jay Kidd are very um, relationship driven. And that's not a knock on Rick or anything. But when Rick left um, and things weren't going the way I felt they should from the general manager position, I wanted somebody who could relate to today's athletes. And I thought, you know, and understood basketball. And and I thought Nico and Jay Kidd fit that mold. And um, obviously, I got a lot of feedback from Dirk and Michael Finley and um, Don Kalkstein and Keith Grant and Casey Smith. And, you know, they had a lot of input as well. And, and you know, it was very much consensus that, you know, Jay Kidd should be our coach. And as we got to know Nico better, um, he also, you know, came out and said, well, Jay Kidd would be a great candidate. And so that made it easy. What? That, that leads to my kind of very next question. For for Nico Harrison specifically, what aspects to his sort of resume did you find appealing prior to prior to hiring him? Relationship building. You know, you don't get to where he's got 19 years in at Nike working with the top athletes unless you can relate to them, unless you know how to manage, unless you know how to be a great listener, unless you know how to estimate, you know, you know, determine talent. Because the great, you know, we have to make big dollar decisions on the players that we choose and invest in um, and sign or not sign. And so does Nike. You know, getting a signature shoe is, is you know, as much, an, as much an estimation of how someone will perform on the court as, as it is how much they'll perform as a brand in selling shoes. Josh? Yeah, bouncing off of that, how, 
you know, the front office was so uh, together for such a long time. You haven't really hired a bunch of general managers in your time as an owner. Never had. This you, is my first time ever. Right. So I guess it's two-parter. How do you realize when it's when it's time, since this is your first time, and then what is that process like as a first-time hiring process for you? Like, how, you know, how do you feel like that experience went? And do you feel like there were things that you needed to learn before making the decision since it was a new type of decision for you to make? Yeah, I mean, I just felt like it was time. You know, some things just run their course in business and, and organizationally. And, you know, you guys have had jobs where you've had managers and, you know, you you just, there's not that there was anything wrong. It's just that things change and, you know, it was time for a change. And that's the way I felt. And I felt, you know, and Rick and I would talk about this, that um, it's harder to managing players today, coaching players today is far different than it was even five years ago. This is the first generation, the 19, 20, 21, now 22 and 23 year olds are the first generation that literally grew up with Instagram, that grew up with Twitter, that grew up with um, TikTok to a certain extent um, and YouTube. And so the way they learn is different. The way they communicate is different. The way they see themselves is different. You know, because they're all stars at some level before they get to the NBA, they're all already brands. You know, the idea that players are checking their phones while waiting for the coaches to come in on halftime would have been obscene 10 years ago. And now it's normal. And so being able to deal with today's athletes, I thought, um, you know, once Rick left, it was time just to go wholesale and just make that change. Yeah, I I as Josh and I have gotten older, because we've somehow now been doing this for Mavs Moneyball for the better part of a decade. And as we've uh-huh. sort of aged out of being uh, college kids to middle managers within our jobs, I've, I've slowly become angry at the youth anytime uh, <laughs> there, because even like leveling criticism is accepted different. It's, it's, it's a very tricky ground to, to kind of tread upon. Um, well, with those changes, how has your part in, in the various process changed or really not changed? I mean, it really comes down to Nico and Jay Kidd defining roles around them. And particularly, you know, the coach has always just been the coach. Um, I've never tried to influence playing time or anything like that. Um, and Nico really has, you know, developed people, you know, as middle managers, you know, there's, there's a process in being developed as a manager. There's a process in developing those underneath you, and there's a process of managing your boss as well. And it could be very tenuous at, at various points of time. And so, you know, at various levels, I've had to train Nico. He doesn't come in with, you know, a knowledge of the CBA. We brought in people who have it. We had Keith Cramp. You know, he hasn't been through the process of making a trade before. He had, you know, signing free agents. So there were a lot of things where I, you know, Nico and Michael Finley and, and I and Keith Grant and and um, Jay Kidd all worked together because we had to bring Nico up to speed on those things. But you know the the skill set that he has in terms of communications is the hard part. You know there there was a point in time where you could have an advantage in um, analytics. You know we had a huge advantage in analytics. You know the first ten years. You know then you could have different types of advantages in coaching and um, different elements, you know, we spent more in facilities and all that, but the league has changed. And now it's really become a relationship league where how you communicate with your players and how you communicate with agents and how you communicate with each other has 
changed night and day. I can't even begin to tell you how different it is than it was 10 or 20 years ago. And so Nico has that skill set. So, you know, my job and Michael Finley's job and everybody's job is to help bring him up to speed on the things he hasn't been exposed to on the past. And he's a quick learner. And then his job is to help, you know, is to do all the things that he's great at. And my job is just let him do those things. Josh, what do you got next? Because I have a yeah. laundry list. <laughs> yeah, that, Mark, you hit on something I was thinking about because, you know, when you came into the league, you know, there was a lot of trend setting that the Mavericks organization did in terms of the way you guys did things. And you kind of talked about, you know, I think the way that a lot of teams ran, you know, a lot of managers ran their teams when you entered the league. I think it's night and day difference now compared, you know, the types of general managers and the thought process and, and roster building and, and philosophies. So is that the is relationships like the next frontier in terms of? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot progress? of frontiers. I mean, artificial intelligence, computer vision, pose estimation, biometrics, blood analytics, literally blood analytics, right? There's all types of things that I'll spend hours and hours and hours learning about and hiring people and funding studies and um, find funding consultants just to try to get us an edge in any place that we can. And that's kind of part of what my role is as much as anything, because I'm a geek, right? That's what I do. And I love technology and I love trying to find disruption and, and new opportunities. And so as traditional analytics becomes more efficient across the, the NBA and, you know, owners become more advanced than they used to be, you know, it used to be that there were manufacturing guys that happened to own the team because their dad gave it to them or bankers. Hmm. And, Excuse me. Now there are VCs and P private equity guys who have groups of 15, 20 people who have a lot of expertise available to them and have, have gone through the, you know, building organizations. And so, you know, I try to find whatever edge that I can. And it really, you know, it plays to some of my strengths. And, you know, sometimes it works, but sometimes it doesn't. But we're going to keep on pushing because, you know, that's where I can add, add an edge. So one of the things, you know, we've, we've all been, Josh and I have been Mavs fans since we were essentially children. Um, thinking about that is pretty wild sometimes. Cause now <laughs> I, 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 cause you know, I was talking to, to Bobby Corral the other day, he had me on a show where he talked about um, just the sheer volume of stuff that you guys have on tape, but like can't actually show due to rights reasons. And right. there's all sorts of different eras and things like that of, of, you know, how we sort of, of section off our Mavs fandom and, you know, the, the, the Chris Stapps Porzingis era was two and a half, two and a half years. Yeah. No, mm -hmm. three full years, basically trade deadline to trade deadline. Um, what did you learn kind of as, as both owner and then, you know, uh, someone who's involved with the team as you are from that particular point in time? Well, let, let's go to, rather than talking about KP, because look, we, we went for it, right? <clears throat> we had Luca, we knew Luca's special. And it's not like people just show up on and your doorstep willing to trade you an all-star. <laughs> And so we, you know, we knew that we were taking a risk because of the injuries, um, but that we felt like we were going to be so much better that giving up the draft picks wasn't going to be as impactful as KP possibly could be. But it really, you know, the KP error, quote unquote, wasn't really a reflection of, of KP as much as, you know, what changed materially is building a team for Rick was mm. different than building a team for Jay Kidd. And we didn't know, you know, when we built the team this summer, it was still Rick and mine, you know, in anticipation and, and um, having high expectations for what Jason could do. 
you know, if you, we, we knew coming in that what he did in Milwaukee in terms of their defense, they went from 29 to top three when he got to Milwaukee. You know, we, we saw him with player development. We saw the things that happened with relationships. Um, but he evolved significantly, particularly with the Lakers side of it and, you know, how he coached defense, the way he, he, way he runs a season. You know, there's a big difference between coaches, you know, over, that we've had over the years. You know, there's different ways to run a season. You can run a season game by game or you can run a season in, in the hope of trying to peak towards the playoffs and develop your players across, even though you might lose a game or two or three or five along the way. And it took us to really understand J Kid's system and to see the results of J Kid's system to know that we, you know, having more than one player who could contribute was of more value to us than one significant player. Um, so it I, wasn't, wasn't really a reflection of KP or disappointment in KP or, you know, KP, because I think KP is going to be amazing at, at, um, at the Wizards, right? Because they have their way of doing it and J Kid has his way of doing it. And getting Davis and getting Spencer, we thought felt really felt fit better into what J Kid was doing. Yeah, that was when Josh and I were kind of um, doing our post game recap pods in the first twenty games of the year. That was kind of what we kept coming back to: is even though we would bitch wildly after games, it would be like, okay, but isn't it better to end on an upswing? It's yeah. better to end where you want to be, Josh. Yeah, I mean, you, Mark, you kind of hit what I was. I think he answered what I was going to ask. I was basically going to say, you know, you've been very outspoken with your support for Kristaps. And like you said, this isn't about Kristaps specifically. It's more just about strategy and, and building yeah. around two different types of uh, coaching styles and, and, and roster, you know, roster styles that you guys have. But, you know, to trade KP, who you guys you felt could be an all-star next to Luca, is that is that basically the realization, you know, because it was very recent, you were pretty – at least publicly saying, you know, backing KP and backing the direction. Was it a, a stretch of games? Was it a culmination? No, no, nothing like, like that at all. Know, what happened? I mean, what happened is our guys started to learn J Kid's system and we mm -hmm. understood where, where the impact points were and what we needed, you know, that, and so it wasn't a reflection of, on KP at all. And I never, I'll say this, you know, we never, ever, ever look at it. Well, this is what we paid. We got to make it look good. Right. You know, just, that never crosses my mind at all. Um, it's more, what do we need to get better? And having somebody who can stretch the court and guard a four, you know, a five, you know, like Davis and create space, you're seeing him create space for Spencer and for JB, you know, teams have to guard him all the way out to the edges, you know, and that that's very beneficial for us, you know. So in some respects, he took the stretch role of KP. You know, he didn't take the defensive side of it, but he took that side. And then we wanted somebody else um, that could create off the dribble in a, because we were putting such a load off of, on JB and on Luca. And so we got those two things and getting those two elements were the deciding factors. With Dinwiddie, I mean, he's been obviously he's been phenomenal and. Are even you a little bit surprised how quickly, like maybe not surprised at the end result, but just in fact that it seemed to happen almost overnight. I knew you had the all-star break, which probably helped get him up to speed, but the speed at which he's fit into your roster and playing, is that something you anticipated? And how did you come about when you realized you needed to make that change with the roster and with the way kid coached the team? How did you zero in on a guy 
like Dinwiddie, who from an outside perspective, uh, you know, watching without inside info or knowing what's going on behind the scenes was having, you know, a disappointing season for his standards. How did it come to that conclusion? And are you kind of surprised? Well, I mean, again, was? you got to give Jay Kidd all the credit and Nico too, um, because Jay Kidd would watch film and, you know, or we would get in the room and all discuss it. And it was like, here's where he can help us, right? Here's how I'll use him. And, you know, that was the deciding factor for both of those players. Um, and we had, and it's not just those two, we had conversations about a lot of different players, right? Um, Cause that's just the nature of the trade deadline, you know, the weeks leading up to the trade deadline. But sometimes you look and you say, okay, you know, this, this is what you read publicly. And if there's a, if there's, are situations at other teams where things don't seem to be working well, um, that's an opportunity. And so when you see somebody on another team that, um, you know, and you're reading all these things that are implying that things aren't going well, it's just natural to say, okay, can those players help us talk to Jay Kidd, talk to Nico, you know, they talk and, you know, when the, the consensus is, yeah, those two guys can help us, then you make the call. And we did, and there wasn't a lot of time left and, you know, before the deadline, before we got there and, and um, we made the call and it worked. Let me see, because I have my just kind of ongoing list and I want this to be more uh, flowing instead of me asking a question about uh, the Dairy Queen in my hometown huh. in, in, in 2002. <laughs> so. Yes, yes, that was that that was that was really fun. My, my mother still talks about that. Um, <laughs> let me see. So what do you... Compared to to other owners, you're probably other than than Joe Joe Lacob, the most visible owner in the NBA. Is, is I would it, say other than maybe Michael Jordan. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, fair. Um, but the most media active one, and I know you yep. kind of answered this question earlier, but is there is 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 it just your love for basketball? Is there anything else that you feel that that you bring to the table when you're when you're so forward facing as as an owner? No, look, I'm I want fans to love the Mavericks. You know, if, if you own a company, regardless of what the product, and you aren't the most visible spokesperson for that, there's something wrong. You know, if, if I don't love the Mavericks as much as anything, and you know, I, which I do, right? I mean, if I didn't like it, I wouldn't talk about it. You know, if I wasn't, if I, if, if I didn't love basketball, I play pickup basketball today. I go out and I shoot, right? I go before games and I shoot. I love the game of basketball. That's who I am. You know, and if I didn't love it, I wouldn't do it, you know. And so when I get a chance to talk about the maps, I like to talk about the maps, you know, period, end of story. You know, and not, you know, and I know you guys think I make all these media appearances, this and that. Trust me, I turn down 99% of the, the media options that I get. Um, and more often than not, you know, if I'm talking to national media about the Mavericks, you know, it's about Luca and just talking up Luca and talking up Mavs, talking up Jay Kidd. But I like to talk about the Mavericks, you know, and, you know, maybe other owners aren't the same way, but this isn't an investment for me. I've said that since day one. You know, there's there's no other there, there aren't other owners except maybe MJ that are out there shooting. You know, when guys are coming to warm up, there's you know, there's aren't other owners that have played pickup with players over the years, you know. Maybe some, you know, general managers and guys who have history in basketball. That's that's just my love of the sport. It's been that way since I've been five years old, just like for you kids loving the Mavs. You know, if all of a sudden you were owners, would you just shut up? No. <laughs> would, you, would you get rid of your podcast, you know? Uh, do you feel there are any drawbacks to that, though? 
Look, I'm not going to be, draw be perfect. To be talking. Like my wife just shot me a text message right now, and it says you are in the doghouse. So are there, <laughs> are there any? Are there Look, any drawbacks? If you, if you do enough that? interviews, if you do enough interviews, you're going to make mistakes. Whether it's related to the Mavericks, whether it's related to Shark Tank, whether it's related to politics, and we live in a world now where it's really easy for somebody to criticize you. And no matter what you say, there's going to be somebody that criticizes you. That's just it, right? Doesn't matter. Sometimes you guys will say stuff and there'll be a response in the tweets, you know, in your timeline where people will rip on you and, you know, you can take it personally or you can just say that's just Twitter. It's just the nature of the beast today. It's different than it was five years ago. It's different than it was 10, 15 and 20 years ago. You know, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, there'd be a major media, somebody at ESPN or wherever, and I could just get into it with them. And so if I disagreed with them, it'd be, you know, a one on one discussion. Now it's, you know, all of all of maps, Twitter, which makes it which just gives it a different type of balance, you know. And so I try not to ever take it personally. Sometimes I get mad because when people are ripping on the maps, I get mad, you know, and I have to delete 99 percent of the tweets. And you guys don't see me tweet about the maps nearly as much as I used to, because the reality is the the most critical um, response comes from math fans on Twitter, you know, and it's, it's okay because they're, they're, they're active and they're, they're um, fanatics, right. And they're passionate about it. And like you guys, and that's why, you know, I'm, you know, you guys are always critical of me, but you're passionate about it. And that's what matters more to me. Okay. And so, yeah. So look, in terms of, should I talk less? The only time we're talking too much can be an issue is when I choose to get fined. You know, and I haven't done that's that been in a, a while. couple of years. Yeah, and, and only because, like I tell the league, I haven't gotten fined about the officials simply because of COVID, because I feel bad for them, right? Because they're under a lot of stress, too. It's not something that is easy for them to do with all the traveling. Um, and so I've kind of taken it easy on them. Doesn't mean I've changed my opinion on anything, but it, it means I've taken it easier on them. Josh, you got, I have, I have a softball, but I want to end on that. <laughs> I don't want <like> softballs <laughs> from you guys. <laughs> well, uh, one of the things I'm most curious about, I've been thinking about it ever since you agreed to come on here, and it's been something I've been thinking about for a while. With Luca, he building a team around him, and the way it's got to be so weird in the sense that his second year, he's already an MVP candidate. His first year is already historic. And I know I don't want to, you know, comparing to Dirk, it, it, they're apples, you know, they're different guys. Yep. obviously, and they're different players. But, you know, it took Dirk, you know, two to three years. He kind of had that linear progression from rookie year till his fourth or fifth year when he started making all-NBA teams. And Luke is making first-team all-NBA his second year in his rookie contract. How do you balance – because you have Luca, and obviously if he's this good, you want to win. I mean, you want to win no matter what. But when he's this good, you obviously want to get as far as you can with a player playing at Luca's level. But he's also 22, 23 – how do you balance maybe making a win now decision versus I don't want to do anything that could stunt the growth of Luca five to six years down the line? Cause it feels like a tricky bounce. Cause usually guys, there's a more linear curve to growth and Luca has just exploded instantly. Does yeah. that change the dynamic of building? Well, yeah. Growth? I mean, what changes that you accelerate things, you know, you think you have a couple of years to build and grow and, you know, um, but Luca is just, you know, you can make the argument that he's, you know, top three, if not the best player in the NBA right now. I mean, it's just insane to watch him play. You know, yeah, Jokic has been incredible too. You know, it's insane to watch him play. But between the two of them, I mean, just watching Luka 
it's it just gives you chills mm. you know and and it's so in so fun to watch and knowing what a good kid he is and knowing that he has a heart of gold you know it's not so much that you look over five or six year timeline you you do you you look at how we can help him get better what resources he and the other players need to get better um and how and what we can do to put ourselves in a position to make the team as good as we can you know and it takes some luck you know and take you know you look at some of the super teams, sometimes it works your way. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you make huge trades that seem brilliant and then guys get hurt and they work against you. You just don't know until you know. Um, but I'll say this, you know, we also look at the curves in the past of other superstar players and how long it took them to win a championship. You know, the Michael Jordan's taking what, eight years, the, you know, the amount of time it took Giannis just to make the playoffs, let alone, you know, and Jokic just to make the playoffs let alone win a championship. And so you kind of use that as a reference. We use that as kind of a reference point, you know, so that we, you know, it, maybe that's our own excuse just to buy ourselves some time. But, you know, it, it's just, look, if there was, a, I guess what I'm saying is if there was a template that you could just follow, then everybody would do it, you know? And so th there's nobody rushing to just give us superstar players to, to, to package, you know, to, and trading them to us to make it easier for Luca. So we're going to do the best we can. Well, I, I lied. I do have one more question because it's uh, jo Josh and I's first real uh, podcast where we actually got traction. Cause for a long time, we just podcast and end of the void because <laughs> um, don't we it was, all <laughs> it was the, it was, it was the, it was 2019 free free agency period where uh -huh. not a lot happened on the Maverick side, but everything happened on the NBA side in a hurry. And I, I, it's kind of a, a multi-part question because I, I want to know, did Luca's arrival at the start of the 2019-20 season surprise you? Because he that when the team started 16 and 5, they looked like to, to coin a phrase from, from the Warriors, they looked light years ahead. Uh was that a surprise? Because it, it in 2019 yeah, I mean, look, you can't doesn't matter what draft pick you have, it doesn't matter how high you are on a player, you don't expect him to be an immediate all NBA player. You just can't, yeah. right? And and obviously he is and he was, and, and that's what makes him special. And, you know, he deserves all the credit because he busts his ass. And, you know, he, he's just so smart and so recognizing of what he needs to do. Um, but he's, you know, he, he's Luca, you know, and that's all you can say. Sure. Josh? I don't know. Are we running up on time? Don't want to keep you from... I've got a little bit of time. We're good. Okay. Yeah, I'll I guess following up with Luca, what is the biggest difference? Because now you've had two transcendent players for your organization with Dirk and now Luca. What's the biggest difference in terms of is it the culture of the NBA that's changed more that makes it different to build around him? Are you thinking about things with Luca that you didn't have to think about with Dirk or vice versa? And how do you is it is it a is it a challenge? Is it an opportunity? How do you look at it when I mean, you're building day, roster around a new Every year is night and day, right? Because the NBA changes. You know, it, it's just, it's not the same. The game isn't played the same way. And the players you put around um, a player like Dirk or a player like Luca are going to be different because Dirk needed somebody to get him the ball and Luca handles the ball. And I think that's one of the reasons we really were willing to give up almost anything to make that trade with Atlanta because I think the best players in the NBA, for the most part, um, 
bring the ball up and initiate the offense. You see Giannis bringing the ball up. You see Jokic, you know, maybe not getting across half court, but initially in the offense, Seth Curry, right? You know, I mean, Steph Curry. Um, Embiid would and, absolutely dribble the ball up if if, if, if he they could. Let him. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> yep. And he does a lot of times, anyways. <laughs> no, that that's key. That that's yeah. That was why just locking in on on Luca really early was he. I mean, he's just I, I he's surpassed any expectation I, I could have had for him. Um, let me see here. I did have one because, uh, you know, it was surprising. My, my parents never watch anything on the internet and I sent them the retirement ceremony and my mother has watched it three times. Um, <laughs> my, my softball that was coming, I was like, was there any particular part of that, um, that entire, uh, either, you know, putting it together or the actual night of that you found particularly special in hindsight? Just happy for Dirk. Um, you know, just letting him get the fan response that he did um, and letting him just absorb it all because, it, you know, those types of moments are few and far between. And, you know, he earned it. He deserved it. And he has so much love in this city for him that just him being able to experience it again, especially with his kids there, that was super special. His children having no time for it was the funniest thing I've seen. on. Yeah, TV. I mean... And- all of I, I, I have a little feeling. boy down the hall who's losing his mind because his mom's trying to make him go to bed. It's his birthday. And <laughs> that, his he? youngest just, he turned six today. And oh, yeah. His youngest just looking up and being like, I'm so bored. It was just, yep. uh, and getting an HD, top quality. Um, <laughs> Josh, do you have anything else? Because I do think we're running up against time now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I'm good. I appreciate the time, Mark. Yeah, so, I do I, too. Come on, let me know any of those hard questions you want to ask now. <laughs> you know, come on, last chance. Uh, uh, okay. Oh, wait, oh. but one more thing. Uh, I would remiss if uh, I didn't bring up the TV stuff. Uh, uh-huh. um, obviously, what you're doing with the, with the direct TV stream and, and giving it at the discounted rate uh, has helped a lot of Mavs fans. But just, I know this is a big, like, philosophical question. I met with question. Sinclair yesterday. Hmm? And I can't speak. It'll be up to them to make any announcements. But I'm hopeful that this is resolved by next season. Okay. And do you feel like this is, cause this isn't just, a, this isn't a Mavs issue. It's not even an NBA issue. This is like all entertainment league, you know, all the sports leagues I'm sure have to look into a streaming future. Do you feel like the NBA is, you know, not just your organization, but the NBA as a whole is, this is something that they need to address down the road yeah, and have of course, a plan? Of course. And you saw some of that with Apple today announcing that they did a deal MLB. with major league baseball. Right. Mm-hmm. And that bodes well for us. And I think we have to TikTok a size, create an option, you know, so that those of us who want to watch the game from start to finish in a linear fashion, get it one way, you know, your six-year-old son isn't going to sit and watch a game, but you want him to be a Mavs fan. Right. And so TikToking it so that you can take it in small bites so that, you know, maybe you only see Luca possessions. Maybe if, you know, again, the way we consume games is how we consume them. Right. And to be on the forefront and understand what's coming next we have to be able to adopt, adapt to what Gen Z wants, you know? And so what I, I guess part two to that is back in, you know, historically with television, you were limited by bandwidth, right? We talked about 500 channels, but there were only 500 because the amount of bandwidth available. In a streaming universe, there's no limit in bandwidth. And so you're going to be able to have a linear feed like you would 
you know, from Bally's right now, you can have a TikTok version where you only see, the, you know, it filters using artificial intelligence, only the types of plays you want. And it may feed you plays from five different teams because 16, 18 year old kids, today, 12 year old kids, they're more as much fans of players as they are teams. Mm. The concept that we grew up with of, you know, hey, we're watching the, the game together as a family. Every Kids have got their own phone. So we've got to be able to adapt to them. And I think you're going to have multiple types of feeds that are geared towards different types of audiences. And streaming and artificial intelligence together will allow that to happen. And you think that'll be oh, delivered in a way that will meet that generation where they're at in terms of yeah exactly you'll be able to you'll be able to consume a game the way you want it where you want it when you want it and hopefully at the price you want it while making money for the league yeah like that's the because remember the nba has the strongest um social media following and the greatest social um video consumption of highlights of any sports league in the world we were the number one search sports term in all of google well, it's just how do you monetize that? And I know this is a much bigger discussion because yeah, and it's if, actually not as hard as it seems. It's just how we deliver it. Okay, so it's like you know, if, if tweets were a currency, I'd be a billionaire. So. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, right, the fact that it's really—I'll tell you a quick story. In two thousand two, when we the NBC deal ended for the NBA, um, NBC wanted the NBA to reduce the number of broadcasts. Because the thought process was that scarcity was better. I stood up and screamed like I always did and said, no, that's ridiculous. You had cable companies paying a million dollars per episode for Seinfeld. Mm. You know? And the cost for one game was a whole lot lower. Um, so we wanted as many games as, on cable as, as humanly possible because that's how we would gross it up. Because it was cheaper to pay us for a game than it was for a cable company or cable channel like TBS or TNT, sorry, or ESPN to create original content because original content is really risky. Fast forward 20 years, it's the same problem for streaming platforms. Why does Apple get what they do what they did for the two games? Because they knew if, if they had exclusives for those games, the fans of those games had to subscribe in order to get it. Same thing we did with broadcast.com 25 years ago with the Cubs and other teams. And so the, the, value of NBA content and all sports content is one, you know, if you have an exclusive, that's the only way you're going to get it. So you're going to get people there. And two, you got six months of original content that replenishes itself over and over again with 82 games plus playoffs so that the retention is going to be higher among sports fans. Because the hardest thing that a streaming platform has to deal with, with all that competition between Netflix and Disney, et cetera, is churn Mm. not just getting new customers it's retaining your existing customers because with all the streaming platforms you can turn them off anytime you want they're all month to month you know unless you prepay a deal you know and so you don't want they don't want you turning it off so if you've got sports and you've got people who are fans of that that league they're not going to turn it off globally right because you know apple plus isn't just the united states it's all over the world like Netflix's, et cetera. This, this, this might, we might have to ask you back when there's more to learn because this is one of you the You won't be things... thinking I'll be making too many media appearances if I came back on? <laughs> Good point. <laughs> <laughs> got you there. Uh, 
can't, I can't edit that out. I'm okay not with any, the media appearance. I'm not any good at editing. If there were right, that's exactly right. The irony, right, was rich. That's one of the reasons I wanted to do this. Well, there's, there's, there's a lot of, there's a, that's some of that stuff really interests me. Josh and I talk about how we can work smarter, not harder, almost every day. Um, so, well, Mark, thank you very much for taking time out of your week. Um, Thanks for having me. uh, It was fun. Excellent. We'll let you get on with your night. This has been Kirk Henderson and Josh Bowe with special guest Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Please subscribe to the Mavs Moneyball podcast and all your feeds. We record after games. We record before games. There's podcasts about the Dallas Mavericks all throughout your week. Thank you so much for your time and have a good week.